Welcome to episode number 28 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Andrew Coates. So it's kind of funny. I had my friend Danny Matranga on, uh, well, actually, well, he, I was on his podcast very recently. And so we've sort of role reversed here. And I suppose this is actually an important note too, that um, I have never gone quid pro quo for appearing on someone's podcast and then them coming on mine. This quite literally was just us more recently connecting, really, really liking each other's work, you know, diving into who Danny is. And then I'm like, okay, this is, you're someone I have to get on here. So if I get requests like, Hey, can I come on your podcast? If you'll come on mine, I'm like, no, 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 this is a special uh, arrangement because uh, Danny, you're someone that I really feel like uh, I want to introduce to everybody who's listening. So I also have to apologize to my regular listeners that the last two weeks, I've been a little bit behind on my timing. Usually these are on Tuesday mornings and I've been a touch late. We just had our gyms reopened here. Now I've been able to work out of my home studio, but there's been a lot of chaos. A lot of people try to jump back into fitness. Our gyms are reopened only for personal training one-on-one. So you're getting a lot of inquiries, but people wanting to come hire trainers so guys, I'm sorry. I've been a little bit uh, disrupted here. I've been really busy with the schedule, the writing projects. So I'm going to do my best to make sure I'm on track and get you guys something every week. So, uh, and Danny, like uh, I introduced, I guess a couple things about you as well. I mean, you're an in-person coach, an online trainer. Uh, you mentor other fitness professionals. Uh, you have your podcast and that stuff sounds awfully familiar. It sounds like the sort of stuff that I do. Uh, so I think that's kind of why we are really plugged into each other's work. And you share a similar style of philosophy on your social media. So I'll say it right off the hop that anyone who's not following you probably needs to be checking out at least your Instagram and all roads lead through there. So in the meantime, welcome to the show. Great to have you. Dude, I'm very happy to be here. Um, I'm actually just wrapping up a day of in-person coaching myself. And um, you're totally right. It wasn't a quid pro quo. I've had offers for what a lot of people call interview swaps. Hey, you come on my show, I'll go on your show. I've never done that before. This is actually the first time I will be on somebody's podcast who came on mine. And it was all because we just gelled, man. And, and I think there's a lot that we have in common, as you just mentioned. And there's nowhere I'd rather be right now than talking to you. No, I appreciate it. And you know, you're really accommodating like moving times around and making this work as well, because my schedule's just been bonkers recently. But again, nice problem to have. So I wanted to jump right into it. So we sort of brainstorm a couple of things. And I liked you mentioning about like career development in fitness. And it often gets me thinking about the direction that our careers take. And I'll start with this. I find a lot of coaches are looking for certainty in the behaviors and the actions, especially with social media and content creation and guarantees of where that will lead. And I'll leave off with this. I don't think any of us who have established whatever presence we have success in the industry really knew what the hell we were doing as we were doing it. And a lot of opportunities arise just simply by committing to, you know, being consistent with the work, putting and sharing information out into the world. So, you know, I'll let you sort of take that and run with it. You know, I really like that. And it, it, the book that you recommended to me when you came on my podcast, The, the Process by Seth Godin. Practice, the practice. Practice, the practice, yeah. thank you, is excellent. It highlights all of this. I think the reason process popped into my head is because I'm somebody who likes to trust the process and be somebody who's more of a process-based thinker than maybe an outcome-based thinker. And that's the only reason that I've had any success. Um with social media and reaching people's because I have become somebody who's pretty committed to creating content. There are people that I want to reach. I want to help. And I'm not the most ripped. I'm not the most jacked. I'm quite young for our industry, despite having been in it for a long time. But what I lack in all of those areas, I make up for with commitment and tenacity and just a desire to consistently make content that reaches people. And a lot of coaches say, well, how do you make content that, you know, it gets out there and that a lot of people see and that a lot of people like. And I just say, well, first thing you have to do is make content. And at first I was so hung up on getting content that got likes and shares. And if it didn't get enough likes, I'd, I'd be so bummed. But eventually I just got to a place where I was like, if this helps one fucking person, it was so worth it. And then the rest has just been kind of building off of that. There's a, a good analogy that I've seen pop up in a handful of books and this might sound bizarre to people. If you think about Shakespeare as a legendary, you know, playwright and, and other things, poet, 
um, Mozart and, and some of Mozart's contemporaries in terms of the music quality. Now, they're obviously brilliant at what they did, but we tend to think that everything that these people did was amazing. And then the successful people in our space, that everything they touch, you know, turns to gold. Um, Shakespeare has a lot of plays and other things he's written that are, you know, definably average compared to his, you know, his standout pieces, Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet, etc. And the same is true for Mozart and a lot of really legendary composers. I mean, even modern day musicians who create a lot of classic music uh, or the people in the last, like, say, you know, 50, 60 years or whatever, they have a volume of stuff on their albums that is essentially filler that contrasts to your Stairway to Heavens for anyone who's of the generation know that the Led Zeppelin's genius. It's one of the best songs ever written. But a lot of what happens is these people commit to the process. They create a lot. They share a lot. They're obviously very talented. And they've worked on refining their skill set and their craft. But within that, there's a lot of stuff that they produce that we forget about. You know, for every great director that we celebrate some of their movies, there are some mediocre movies or actors, mediocre roles in movies that we don't pay much attention to. So we tend to notice the hits more than the misses. And in the case of Shakespeare and, and the more historical figures, the, the, the misses get left in the dust. They're forgotten about. Same thing with famous painters. So apply that to our world. And it just becomes, again, like you said, committing to the process, which I, I like that phrasing as I've used it too. And without the expectation of a specific outcome or result or reward from every individual thing that we, we create. Yeah, and I think that's hard too, because a lot of the coaches that I've either hired when I was working in commercial gyms that I work with now when I mentor, social media isn't what they love. They love coaching. They love training. They love interacting with people, but they understand that they probably need to create some content and they want to reach people. And it's really difficult to stomach not getting the best returns or producing perhaps say going back to your analogy, songs that aren't maybe chart toppers, but you'll never produce a chart topper if you don't produce some duds. And it all starts with production. And I know how difficult that that is when it's not necessarily what you're passionate about. If you love something, it's okay to suck at it for a while. I really love golf. I just started. I'm quite bad at it. But when I hit one ball and I just launch it, Shit, that gets me, you know, out to the course three more times. I can go out there and every shot I hit is bad. But if I hit one good one, it motivates the crap out of me. And I think for coaches, it's really hard when social media or content creation or playing the game, if you will, isn't something that you love to be okay with stumbling along. But man, oh man, when you make that post and you get that DM where somebody says, hey, this resonated, this helps, or it gets a lot of shares, or it gets maybe shared by somebody who you look up to, which is what happened. And that's actually how we met. You shared one of my posts. And I said, holy crap, of all the people who have ever acknowledged one of my posts, Andrew is one of the few people who I actually really look up to. And that was so meaningful. That charged me up for weeks. But if you're not going to do the work and you're not willing to hit some shitty golf balls, right, then you're never going to have that one that lands right in the middle of the fairway. No, that makes sense. And I really hope what people get from this is the fact that <clears throat> we don't have it all figured out. You know, I think it's discouraging for a lot of coaches who are trying to work on their media or writing or long form content or whatever the hell they're working on. And we see the people in the industry who are in a very successful space. I look at someone like Jordan Syatt, who you know does something kind of similar with his media to what with you and I do, and has a vastly larger following. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you've ever plugged into Jordan's story or, you know, I've had him on the podcast pre previously a few times, and, and Jordan's quite open about the gradual journey that it's been of a lot of article writing. He started out very young in the industry, and it took him a very long time of accumulating a lot of work before you know, social media took off. And even then he's fumbled around with, you know, the quality of his videos. Now, I mean, he has a professional videographer who does his work for him, but that took years. Mm -hmm. So it's very unfair for everybody to compare themselves to anyone else in the industry who looks polished. And like you and I probably look quite polished to a lot of people. And again, I, I can speak for myself and I suspect I'm speaking for you that we really don't have all the answers and we certainly have doubts about what we're doing and, you know, Today, I had a post that actually got shared fairly well, but the previous few days, I had a couple of things that eh, were, were kind of mediocre sharing relative to some of the things I've seen recently. 
And I don't let that stuff get me down because I know that, you know, I'll just keep plugging away at it. But I, I assure you, we create stuff that is not a home run every single time. And if you're trying to start in this process, you have to get real comfortable with that. Yeah. And I, I like sports analogies. And one of the things I love about baseball is if you go up every time trying to hit a home run, what we know, statistically speaking, is that's actually going to increase your likelihood of striking out because there are elements of hitting a baseball that go beyond just swinging as hard as you can. And I think the same thing comes for content creation. You have to take it in stride. You have to work with what you're given. You have to look at your audience. You have to look at the people that you want to reach, just like you would acknowledge the pitch that a pitcher is throwing. You have to sit there and go, okay, hey, I'm not going to swing as hard as I can and try to make the best piece of content every time. And if I don't, I'm a failure. Sometimes you make, a con you, you make contact and you make a good piece of contact, but it's always the same swing. It's always the same process. It's, there's a quote that, always, that, that I've been ruminating over a lot, and it was actually a dialogue between Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, and Warren Buffett, who was previously the richest man in the world, the founder of Berkshire Hathaway Holding Company. And Jeff said to Warren, he said, Warren, you have like the simplest investment strategy ever. Why doesn't anybody listen to you? And he says, because nobody wants to get rich slow. And I think the same thing can be said for what we do, whether it's building a coaching business in person, building a coaching business online, creating content that reaches people. Nobody wants to do it slow, but it's a, it's a small process of hitting a lot of singles, a lot of doubles, but the occasional home run. But if you go up there and you are afraid of striking out or you go up there and you swing as hard as you can instead of taking, with what, taking what you're given and trying to make good contact and trying to consistently swing the same swing, you won't get there. And it's just being comfortable going slow and waiting for that hockey stick. And I've seen it with you, Andrew, because sheesh, when I first found you on Instagram, you, were, you had several thousand followers. And God, I checked yesterday and you're almost at 13. And it seems like your growth is compounding. And every time I check, the number gets larger. And you can attest to this. It's not anything. It's probably because you're doing things consistently more so than that you're doing anything differently from you were 2,000 followers ago. Yeah, and that's absolutely true. It's it has been growing quickly. It's sort of astonishing. I mean, just January alone, um, fourteen hundred new followers, which may sound like a lot of of following to a lot of people. When I committed to be more consistent on social media, and I started in the three thousand follower range in January of last year, so it's actually grown fast. Um, I was trying to be very consistent with social media posting, and I and I was. I, I finally got that down. And the growth was small, you know, it was like, hey, four people a day here, two people a day here, you know, gradually it built up to about 10 people a day. And now it averages, you know, over 40 a day. And they usually come in big spikes with, with certain post shares. But it's also complemented with all of the other long form content stuff. Just had another article published on T Nation. If I'm getting stuff published on major sites or, you know, I, I've got a bunch of people started following me because they listen to your podcast. They're your followers who like what I'm doing. Cool. Awesome. So that's really, really sweet. I'm hoping that people turn around and, you know, are following and engaging in what you're doing. And all those things add up over time to just people finding you. And every once in a while, you'll get a shout from someone like John Goodman recently put me in a post with Lee Boyce, Megan Calloway, and, and uh, Susan Ebergall and Ben Mudge. Now, I didn't know Ben before this. So Ben and I got chatting. He's got 100,000 followers. And so Ben and I are actually now talking about putting a little something together to share with the world. And he's a really cool guy. So then there's stuff like this. If you're, I had this conversation with one of the people I mentor today. And if you're working on building out and getting into the space and growing your brand, your reach, then look around for people in the industry, you know, your friends, colleagues who are in a very similar place. One of the best things I did in my career was start traveling to fitness events, you know, back in 2017, met a lot of people in the industry. And while I did get to know and actually became friends with some people who are very, very successful, recognizable people in the industry, I also met a lot of people who are the same space I was. And those people have become really close friends, big supporters, helped me out along the way and been really fun to have in my world um, along this process too. So don't just try to seek and curry the favor of, you know, people who you, you look up to or who are established industry leaders or, or whatnot, you know, take it to the point of like an Eric Cressy. Eric, you're probably not going to get Eric's attention. That dude is busy. He's notorious for being a, a prolific content creator. He's also running the strength and conditioning program for the New York Yankees. 
you know, running Cressy Sports Performance, his, his twin kids, you know, dude's got a busy life, right? He's not worried about you and he doesn't have the bandwidth to check that out. But the person who is currently where Eric Cressy was very early in his career, and we don't know who is going to break through into that space, that person's right there alongside you on the same journey. So if you support them and you engage with them, that could be the kind of encouragement that pays dividends now. And, you know, who knows where someone is later on. And if you help them along the way, people tend to support each other. So I couldn't agree more. And it goes back to something I talk a lot about with other coaches, which is operating from a place of abundance. And, and we talked about this when you came on my podcast and I, I, I'm quite philosophical. I often sit back and examine our industry as a whole from a non-business standpoint, just looking at it for what it is. And one of the things I realized early on is our industry is full of competitive people. It's full of former athletes. It's full of current athletes. It's full of dudes. It's full of testosterone, people who want to get the best out of it. And that inherently makes it a little bit competitive. And I think friendly competition is great. I'm all for competition. It drives innovation. It drives business. It drives enterprise. It's fantastic. But a lot of coaches get way too caught up in this scarcity mindset, operating from a place of, if I network with this coach and they're exposed to my, my clients are exposed to them, what if my clients go over there? Or what if the leads that I was going to have go over there? They've completely lost sight of the fact that there are many more people that need help with their health, wellness, performance than all of the personal trainers on earth will ever be able to help. There's just too many people. And so instead of operating from this place of scarcity and creating content where you're either trying to take shots at people, you're trying to ridicule people, you're trying to pick fights with other coaches, operating from an abundance mindset where, hey, if you and I work together or I work with you or I compliment you or I learn from your work or I acknowledge your work and I create content that helps my audience or helps your audience, it's amazing, one, how much easier life becomes because you're not constantly living in the comparison trap. Two, you'll find you help a lot more people. And quite frankly, the people who you are a lot of people, I should say, I, I'll speak for myself because I've done this, the people that I often ended up artificially creating this competitive mindset or competitive aura around these people who I looked at as my competition, they're very similar to me and they're the exact people I should have been reaching out to collaborate with and learn from. And all of that can be changed simply by choosing to operate from a place of abundance rather than this completely fictitious place of scarcity that I genuinely believe has no place in our industry because there are too many damn people that need our help. I'll give a specific example. You know, in, in 10 years of training and all of the podcasts I've ever done and sharing other people's media, I am only aware of one instance where a client of mine turned around and started working with someone else I shared. And this client is an old friend of mine that we used to work together at a previous job. Um, his name is Dan. And Dan's goal was, you know, he had some weight loss goals for sure. And he was actually really successful with me. He had a lot more work he was working on. Uh, he lost about 60 pounds, I think. And but he was also a sponge for learning. He was listening to the podcast early and he listened up episodes with both uh, Carter Good and Jordan Syed in there. And so he actually went on to do some online stuff with both of them. And Dan now is doing really, really well. He has a home gym that he set up and he's very committed to the, you know, the working out lifestyle, something he didn't grow up with or have access to at all. And he's done really well. And I was grateful to get to work with him and teach him a lot of stuff as we went along. And I've been busy enough that I'm not worried about a losing one client along the way, but I've got an old friend who has been really successful in large part due to spending both time with me and a couple other people in the industry that I've been happy to share with everyone else. So, you know, that could even lead to something really good. I feel great about it. I don't have any concerns about that. No, and I think that's where we should operate from. All of us want people to be successful with health and fitness. And if you've worked with people in person um, and you've worked in gyms, you certainly know that it's not always the best trainers who have the most clients. A lot of times it's the trainers with the best personality or the trainer with the best body. And, you know, maybe we don't want our clients running off with charlatans and just 
hooligans who are, you know, projecting knowledge that they don't have, or they're just bringing people in with their incredibly charismatic personality. But if a client were to leave me because they fit better with another coach, or that other coach has expertise in an area, I would be willing to bet that in some way, shape or form, the rule of reciprocity is going to bring more clients back to me uh, somewhere down the road because I let that client go to a situation that may have been better for them, better for them at the time. And again, choosing not to operate from this scarcity mindset. I, I think that if, if you want to help people and somebody's going to be better off with another coach or you've realized, hey, this is something that happens a lot with coaches, uh, it's time for me to refer out to a physiotherapist, a physical therapist, somebody who's a specialist, maybe even an orthopedic surgeon, because my client's not getting results. You will build so much more rapport and so much more trust with that person if you genuinely tell them, hey, I don't know what's going on with your shoulder. I've tried everything in my repertoire, but I really think you should go see a physical therapist. A lot of coaches are petrified of referring out because they go, oh my gosh, that's going to show that maybe I don't know what I'm doing. When in fact, breaking people and claiming you can fix them and not fixing them is a really good way to show people you don't know what they're doing. So I really love that that we're talking about this. I, I've it's something I've wanted to talk about with somebody in the industry for a really long time. So I got to give you kudos because I think that you're one of the few people I know who's actually talking about this stuff. I think a lot of people in our space actually think this way. You know, I've got a couple of physical therapists who are really brilliant and I'm very happy to send people to them because uh, I think there is a generation of trainers who do, I mean, this is a bit of a straw man, but you know, they do a corrective exercise course and all of a sudden they think they're in that physical therapist space. And now Yes, are the lines blurring in a sense? We have trainers doing more, you know, mobility stuff and what have you. And mm -hmm. yeah, okay, sure. I mean, having knowledge base in there, that area is good. But when we're dealing with diagnosing pain or, you know, injury and, and that, that side of the rehabilitation, that's where I like to refer that stuff out to someone who I know is very specialized in that space. I can focus my effort and my educational bandwidth on enhancing skills within my area of expertise mm -hmm be really good on training. We've got to be able to train people through around injuries, improve the quality of their movement. So that way they're not causing repetitive use stuff. And we can often, you know, avoid pain simply by just doing a good job of making sure people are moving well, that that's in our scope, but then there's some stuff that we just have to send out. And my clients have always felt great because I've had some really reputable people to send them to. I'm going to be honest. I mean, we, I don't like getting caught up in this, but we know there are trainers who are not qualified to be in our space. Bitching about it accomplishes nothing. Just be better. Right? You know, take control of your own marketing, your own branding, and just attract more attention. Stop complaining about those people. But in the physical therapy space, my God, there's a lot of really bad ones. So you need to know great people who understand strength training as well, instead of, you know, sending having someone come in doing three little band rotations with their shoulder, give them a piece of paper. They see them for five minutes and they've got, you know, five other people in different rooms within that hour. That's not service. And I hate that model. Find someone who gives a lot of individualized attention and makes your clients get better and stronger and is accurate in diagnosing what, what the hell is actually wrong. If you send people to a resource like that and they are getting better, that increases the likelihood that they stay with you long-term because that person is a part of your referral network that reflects on you. Anybody that I bring on the podcast, anyone I share on social media is a reflection on me. And if somebody gains value from following Luca Hosevar or you or Dean Somerset or someone else that I respect and I've been influenced by, then people tend to remember where you find out these people from. They do. And, you know, I you get a reputation as being someone who is a curator of the good information, the good people that's out there in the industry. And I value that. No, I love it. I, one of the things I get asked a lot is like, oh, who are, who are some good accounts to follow? And I tell people, well, just look at who I'm following and go follow all of those people <laughs> because those are the people who I really believe do a great job of creating stuff instead of just saying something like, oh, I don't know, here's one or two people. No, like I've literally curated my feed so that I am exposed to people who motivate me, 
inspire me to do better and inspire me to be the best trainer that I can be. Um, I've really gone away from following people who I would just follow to be angry or be like, oh, look at this stupid booty band workout that I detest to, to the point you made earlier about just be better. It's like, gosh, the number of coaches that come to me that go, how come nobody's liking my content? I made an amazing post about glutes, but Becky booty band got a million views. And I'm like, Hey, look, man, I hate to break it to you, but Becky booty band's been posting for 10 years and you know, she might be stupid, but damn it, she's consistent. And she doesn't give a damn about what you've got to say. And maybe at the end of the day, <laughs> there's something to learn here. And, and I, I just, curating your feed so that you follow people who inspire you to be better and even going beyond that curating your community so that you are around other coaches who make you better or networking with physical therapists who you know are adding value to your clients that should be something that we're all focusing on as professionals in the space is zooming in on people who are providing value and in my opinion if if you find yourself going to the down the rabbit hole of like following people so you can bag on them or, or roast them or call them stupid or leave YouTube comments or Instagram comments to flex your knowledge on people. I think that that's time better spent interacting with coaches who are good, who are smart, who can make you better. Almost every coach that I follow is somebody who I think knows something or knows more than I do about many things. And that's what I like my feed to look like. So that when I do use that app as a consumer, not a creator, I'm like, damn, Andrew made a freaking great point. Oh my gosh, RP Bikes posted a badass infographic. Yep, there's Cressy showing me something amazing with a landmine. And I just go on Instagram for 10 minutes and I leave taking something from it versus, oh, Becky Booty Band's pissing me off again. Oh, there's Tommy Trenbolone and his BCAAs and Ferrari. And just, just getting so <laughs> angry about it. And that's that's the game that a lot of people end up playing with this. And they're, they're consumers of shit that makes them go backwards more than they are creating stuff that helps other people go forward. Oh, I, I, I like that one. Uh, I think about people who who pedal in enragement. I mean, we, we hear the word engagement all the time, but be wary of enragement, enragement post, enragement posters. And I think those are the kind of people who pedal in, again, anger, fear. And these are things that obviously create engagement on social media as well. But is it good? Is it causing you anxiety, distraction? Uh, you know, are you motivated to how many times you know in the past with facebook i like half write a post i'm like no i'm not posting this because this is just going to get into an argument you train yourself to do shit like that so you don't even start those things and i've learned over time like you have to guard your emotional well-being and i have very little patience or tolerance for this kind of stuff and if i know that someone all that they post is this anger machine shit and you know, and oftentimes you'll see that I try to stay out of politics and social stuff, but a lot of the stuff that gets shared that is politically or socially charged is enragement. And I don't care, you know, what moral high ground it's on. If I find that it's intended to scream into an echo chamber and cause enragement, it's gone. It's gone from my feet. I don't want to see it. And, Absolutely. You know, and, and you have to guard against like living in your own echo chamber of your own belief systems by, you know, not, not seeing other things, but at the same time, I don't want to drown in it either. And I have a lot of really intelligent people that I spend time interacting with on a one-on-one -on -one basis. If I want to have intelligent conversations, I stay away from that stuff on social media. And if you find yourself as a coach being distracted by that kind of crap or worse peddling in it, I mean, I've said this in numerous other venues before you have to make a decision. Are you a fitness professional? Are you an activist? And if you choose the activist route, you are going to sabotage your, your ability to generate, you know, a strong reputation and a brand in the fitness space. And people are going to get offended by that and argue about that point. But that's just because they have their own ideological bias that they want to shove down everybody else's throats. And quite frankly, I'm not interested in having you shove it down mine. You know, I love that. And I will get political very briefly, but I'll get back to it because sure. if, if you are listening, uh, in America, you're very well aware of the political discourse that's taken place across our country, uh, not just in the last four years, the Trump presidency, but long before that. And a lot of the issues we have societally are due to a massive scale intake of fear mongering and 
Um, very one-sided information. One of the outlets that's extremely popular here is Fox News, and they're almost exclusively, they, they almost exclusively lean right. Everything is uh, what I would describe as conservative disaster porn. The liberals are going to come and take everything from you, and they're going to give it to illegal immigrants, Scott, just be angry. And then we have CNN and CNN is liberal disaster porn. It is, oh my gosh, the conservatives are gonna kill everybody and it's gonna be the most unsafe place in the world. And that's what a lot of people's feeds look like, fitness professionals and non-fitness professionals alike. So imagine now, imagine we're talking fitness and you are Mary Muffin Top. And you're scrolling through, that's one that I got from Luke Lehman over at Muscle Nerds. It's like my all-time favorite alliterated fake client. Mary Muffin Top is so much better than Mrs. Jones. And so Mary Muffin Top is on Facebook. And she gets an ad from Douchebag V Shred telling her about her, you know, oh, you need to eat this one ingredient to lose fat, but you got to make sure it's the right ingredient for your body type. And everybody's been lying to you except for me. He's dealing in fear mongering. He's dealing in misinformation. And then she scrolls up and she gets another bullshit post. But then she comes across somebody who is nuanced, who is dealing in information and science, evidence-based. They're taking time to craft their words carefully and be, again, as I said, nuanced and practical. I don't think people understand just how refreshing that is, because in politics, we, at least here in America, have gotten totally, totally polarized. We've gotten super bipartisan. We're having a really, really super partisan, I should say. And we're having a really, really tough time coming to the middle. But there are a few people that are very central and they're extremely refreshing. And so if we look at our fitness space, understanding that most of the people in our space are either in the business of peddling misinformation, bullshit fear-mongering, and a lot of coaches out there would rather pick fights than produce content that makes information or, or gives people usable, actionable information. Uh, I think now more so than ever, good coaches are poised and positioned to really make an impact by reaching out to people who are sick of the misinformation crap, the polarizing crap, the politicization of, you know, the dogmatic approach people take with dieting for Christ's sake, like diet and nutrition has become like the new politics. Like you've got the intermittent fasters who want to go toe to toe with the keto people and the vegans are ready to go to war with the carnivores. And meanwhile, everybody's getting fatter and people just want to fucking find a way to eat the foods they like and lose weight. Be that guy. Oh, if you want to cause some shit, start posting about uh, keto and use their hashtags, but, uh, but shit on it which I don't even agree with either is unilaterally shitting on all these different sort of diets. We know that they, in the hands of most people function like fads and yo-yo diets, and that's a problem, but you know, there's still people who have some success with them. I think the political analogies is very accurate there. We are talking a lot about social media. And one of the other things that you'd mentioned was clubhouse. So clubhouse is getting some attention in our space. And, you know, I tend to be more in the John Goodman camp, where John doesn't seem to want to have any part of it. My philosophy, and this is similar to, again, John has said this a number of times, you, know, you really have to pick one or two spaces that you're very, very comfortable in and do them very well. Instagram has treated me well. I've traditionally been on Facebook. Um, I have a podcast. You know, I'm writing for different you know, venues. It, there is just a limit to the bandwidth you have to actually do all these things. Now, Clubhouse sounds like to me, and maybe it's a misconception, sort of a live podcast, but the one that you have to experience live and you can't go back and re-listen to it. So it sounds time consuming. And personally, I'm not getting the impression that your average up and coming coach is probably going to be able to use it much to gain traction with the type of person that's going to become a client. So where do you see the value in Clubhouse in our space? Or do I have some misconceptions? I think you do have some misconceptions. I don't disagree with the fact that you need to select and, and streamline for the things that give you the most leverage in the least amount of time. And if you've already been kicking ass on Instagram and you've been kicking ass on Facebook or YouTube and you have an audience and you have tons of leads, that, that's fantastic. Maybe Clubhouse isn't for you. But one of the things that I really like about Clubhouse is it kind of eliminates bullshitting that we've seen on social media because of the live nature. It also doesn't play to people's kind of 
incredibly myopic fascination with what people look like. People are so drawn to the visual platforms like YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, that something that's non-visual in nature, like Clubhouse, I think has a lot of potential, not just as something novel, but as something refreshing. Like, hey, you know, I don't know. I, I, this dude was giving the best diet advice, and I followed him because he was incredibly intelligent and very smart. Not because he had a ripped six-pack, not because he was sitting on a Ferrari, but because it was substantially more impactful than a post that I didn't read. So I do think that while Clubhouse is new, and while there are certainly some pitfalls, while it's in its beta phase, that you have to be live, that there's no recordings, I think given the amount of inauthenticity or lack of authenticity in our space for people or coaches who are comfortable speaking to what they know, who are comfortable talking, who are comfortable answering questions to be able to field a question in a, let's say the club is fitness question and answer. And you have a thousand people in the club and a, somebody in the audience asks a question, Hey, I'm really having a hard time getting up in the morning and training. Is it okay if I train in the evening after work? And maybe of the thousand people in the audience, that question is relevant to 150 people. And you go out there and you answer that question like an absolute baller because you know your shit and it's live. The 150 people who heard you now have become people that are what I would describe as very likely to follow you. And you're also on a platform that's extremely new. And there's a lot of advantages to being first to market. And so I, I am somebody who invests here in the American stock market and I invest for my retirement and I have a lot of fun with it. And if you can get in on something early, there's a lot of advantages to doing that. And I look at Clubhouse as being something that I'm willing to invest my time in because I think it's going to be a big thing. There's a lot of people who I trust. Gary Vaynerchuk, of course, we all know who Gary V is. He's very big on it. Um, he thinks it has a lot of potential. And I, when Gary said that TikTok had a lot of potential, I said, yeah, TikTok's stupid. It's just for dancing. I was wrong. TikTok has become inundated with a lot of crap, but it is huge. And for trainers out there who maybe do better delivering information the way we're talking right now, Clubhouse might be worth considering as a way in which you can go about really connecting with people in a really specific way. And people are going to self-select for the room that they are in. So if the club is help me lose weight or the club is help me lose muscle and the panel is you know, experts in those topics, your audience is going to be people who need that type of exact help. And so while I look at something like Instagram as being very broad and you ca we often cast fairly wide nets, some, some people are quite niche with their content, but I think with Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, it, it does help to be a mix of generalist and specialist. Club Clubhouse is really allowing people to be specialist in what they're presenting and it allows people to look for specialists in what they need help with. Makes sense. I still suspect that it's going to be a more valuable medium for people who've grown into a certain space and maybe speaking to other fitness professionals. But I guess that does depend on the type of users that are going in looking for information. I think any type of social media within reason can probably be really valuable. I think that some coaches, and I think this might skew a bit more towards women, can do really well with, say, something like Pinterest, mm -hmm. because, you know, maybe you're big into recipe stuff, and, and you can make the, the Pinterest format work really well for you. Um, Instagram is probably the big one right now, despite the fact that Facebook is a, a still a bigger and more ubiquitous thing. I think Instagram may be the top space for fitness professionals. I agree with you. I think TikTok has an enormous amount of potential because it's becoming somewhat of a legitimate competitor to Instagram to yeah. the point where Instagram introduced reels to try to compete with it. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a space for people to go in there and create content that hits home for the type of user that's on TikTok. And again, early mover. And I think the bias against it will keep a lot of people out. I, Jordan Syatt, like told me, you know, hey, you got to get on on this. You know, this is a really good opportunity. He did. Um, and my friend Chad Hargrove also jumped in there and did really well. You can build following really quickly and bring it back over to Instagram. For me, it was the time to just do one more thing. And that was the decision-making criteria for me. What is the value and benefit of doing this? And yes, long-term investment in something is really key, but even in the now, 
it becomes one more type of media for me to try to keep up with. Uh, I'll use the example of Snapchat, and and I really like Gary Vaynerchuk, and I think he's quite brilliant when it comes to this space. But unfortunately, Gary was so high on Snapchat, he's also a big investor in it, and Snapchat is probably the most useless fitness social media platform that there is. It is there's no way to really gain organic following through the the platform or shareability. So it's a really hard place to grow in. I think if you're already very established in other mediums with a big brand, then you can have a, a Snapchat presence and, and funnel people over there. But it's often pretty redundant with what Instagram has adapted to now. So totally. I'm not, I'm not sure that there's really any worth of being there at all. So I, I kind of scrapped that idea. So if Gary endorses it, I, I don't take it as, as a, you know, a ringing, okay, I've got to be on it. I have little doubt there's potential, but to me, it also seems very potentially time consuming and time to me, I'm very, very conscientious of how I allocate that time, especially now shit's busy. And I know that I would rather record a podcast or write an article than listen to someone on clubs. I mean, very selective, like maybe if it's someone I really, really like, but I'd rather listen to them on a podcast at my convenience versus go to something live in that format. Yeah. I, you've hit on all the pitfalls of clubhouse and, and I'm in there and I will certainly follow up with you as to whether or not those truly become just unfathomably annoying. You do have to listen to other people talk. The way I'm using Clubhouse right now, and people might find this interesting, the, a lot of the audience base, uh, or user base, I should say, appears to be in the United Kingdom. Um, for whatever reason, it's in the United Kingdom, and it's largely, from what I've noticed, non-white people. Um, I'm like the only white dude from America on Clubhouse in, uh, that I've found. There's not a lot of people, at least in the rooms that I'm in. But I get up at about 4.30, 4.45, as a lot of trainers have had their circadian rhythm be like glued to this because you woke up to do 5 a.m. clients for six years. I, I did that while I was going to school. And my circadian rhythm has never recovered. Like rain, shine, holiday, hangover. I'm fucking waking up at 4.45 in the morning. It, I, it's just going to happen. And that tends to be when I get on my computer to write. Well, that just so happens to be like primetime clubhouse hours over in the United Kingdom. So I flip it on. And while I'm working on projects, I listen in and it doubles as market research and an opportunity for me to jump in and reach people. And I hear the questions that people are asking. I hear the problems that they're having. It keeps me connected with not just where my Instagram audience is, but maybe where this other audience is having trouble. So my time on Clubhouse, while I completely agree with you, I do have to sacrifice some of it to listen to other people. I try to combine it with activities that I can also have an audio input. And so another example of when I might do a clubhouse is when I'm walking my dog, I might open up clubhouse. And if I'm given the opportunity to speak, if I can speak twice during a dog walk, I'll gain between 20 and 40 followers on that platform. What that's worth, what that currency is worth is I, I have no idea, but I am willing to trade a little bit of my time for the speculative return that I believe me speaking to people in the format like we are here, I think it has more value than a post. And I believe that if you are going to record podcasts and reach an audience that you believe in the, the, the viability of the spoken word, you believe in the viability of actually talking to somebody. And Clubhouse, I think, is the weird offspring of podcasting, and like live forums and we've just never seen them before or maybe Instagram live. It's like Instagram live and podcasting had this really ugly baby. And we, we don't know what it's going to look like, but maybe that baby's going to grow up to be super hot. Maybe that, you know, maybe when it was like a weird teenager, we wish we treated it better. And so right now I'm, I'm just being nice to clubhouse. You know, I'm not trying to take it to the prom or nothing, but you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not making fun of her. If that makes any sense, I'm giving her a shot. That's that's certainly eye-opening. And I think the thing I'm taking away from this, the point you made me kind of reconsider was, and I don't like thinking in terms of return on, like measurable return on investment of the time we spend. But if we're going to think in that, that kind of context, well, how many people will become engaged in what we're doing who then might sign up for an email list, start reading articles and connecting with us and other media? So the thing I'll bounce back is, do you think that you would see Clubhouse as being a primary 
vehicle to long-term engage with people and build a following directly there, the way that we kind of have our Instagram or maybe an email list is, or do you see it as a way to engage with people, but funnel them into the other things we're doing? Yeah. So I would say it's a little bit of both. I might lean a little bit more towards the latter. Um, but I would say if I had to go, I would, I would imagine that a follower that I got from clubhouse, somebody who followed me because they heard me riff on something for one to two minutes, um, they're probably more likely to become a podcast subscriber. They're probably more likely to become a mailing list subscriber. They're probably somebody that goes, Hey, damn, like I, I liked that two minute riff. What's the closest thing I can get to that from you? Is it okay? I'll follow you on Instagram because one thing I love about clubhouse is it links directly to your Twitter and Instagram. And so uh, the minute somebody follows you, they can scroll right down and follow you on your other platforms. And it, it, it literally, it, it kind of is built for that. It's built as a space where you can go answer people's direct questions and then kind of funnel them to your other places. And whereas like a TikTok follower might, might be somebody who is more likely to follow my Instagram for pictures, I would imagine like a, a Clubhouse follower might be somebody who might then eventually become a podcast subscriber. And those are the people that I really want to connect with because we make content on Instagram that has reach, but we also make content on our blogs and on our podcasts that has depth. And you have to do both, but you get sales from depth. You create revenue from depth. You create customers from depth. I, and I like that point, especially with the TikTok. And I definitely am of the impression that accumulation of TikTok followers is both easy but, and I don't really do TikTok. You know, my girlfriend likes it. So she'll send me cat stuff. That's literally the only thing like real sometimes on Instagram, I'm like Ooh, cool cat stuff. And I'll do it for 10 minutes, like once a week or something. But I noticed that I'm not really concerned with who's posting it. I'm just, oh, that was funny. Go on to the next one. And I believe the way that TikTok is engineered is going to be so shallow and, and superficial that will people really turn around and grab on and then consume your deeper long form content are we are the right people self selecting for are, are we putting ourselves in a position to grab shallow like you said or really really engage potential fans who then may turn around and become clients and I, again i don't like thinking about everything that i do in terms of gaining clientele it just sort of is a byproduct of having fun with all the media that i've been working on over the years but I think these things are, are relevant questions to ask. So I, I can see more potential now. It's kind of interesting to feel my mind change a little bit. I think basic, it's still probably too difficult for me to invest the time in it, to explore it, just given the, the amount of commitments I already have with my time. I'm literally sitting down having my meals, going through a course that uh, you know a friend has sent me that he wanted me to do a sort of testimonial on. And that's the only time I can actually squeeze that in on top of all the other work. Yeah. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I value my time and I certainly don't look at um, my content creation as a means to drive clients. It, it, um, it's more of a means to help people. And if that creates leads, great. I'm one of the few people on the Instagram fitness space, as are you, that can survive with the business of in-person clients I built. This is supplemental income. This is allowing me to have freedom and financial security that most people don't have. But you know, you could take away the internet from me tomorrow and I'd still be fine. What I really like about Clubhouse is I have a barrier with social media in my own mind. And I think we talked about this on my podcast. I don't love the inherently shallow nature of it. I don't like the fetishization of the fitness space. I don't like the sexualization, pornographication, whatever you want to call it, of fitness on Instagram. I certainly, I have a like inherent detestment for TikTok. I, I so resonate with you because my girlfriend is also like a major TikTok fan. And she sends me lots of TikToks. I don't go on that app because I went on it for like three days and I became almost immediately addicted because mm -hmm. it plays to our short-term attention span. And I, I have a natural like pushback against that because I, I am deeply concerned for young people's shortening attention span. And while that's not my problem, um, I don't want to contribute to that. I like that on Clubhouse, I can create more meaningful content that might resonate more deeply with people. And even if I don't have as much reach, one of the cool things that that app allows me to do is create a club. And if I said, hey, I have a dope ass club and you know who's in my club? 
Andrew's in my club. Jordan Syatt's in my club. You know, my friend Brandon, who's a doctor of physical therapy, they're in my club. And, you know, you pick a couple of your friends. We'll throw them in our club. And our club is going to have, you know, one hour a week where we get together and we answer questions. And we start by saying, hey, everybody, welcome to the club. Be sure you follow everybody who's on the speaking stage. And we're going to answer your questions. And so it's it has potential for somebody like yourself who says, hey, Danny, I'm really limited on time. I don't want to spend more than an hour a week on Clubhouse. And I say, awesome, Andrew, you're going to come to uh, my club on content creation, or you're going to come to my club on fat loss, and I'll maximize the hour of your time because we can schedule it out in advance. The audience knows when it's coming. They can add it to their calendar so they know to be there or they know to plug it in in the car. And we get to interact. And instead of you having to like kind of jockey for your time to speak, if you know somebody who perhaps got in Clubhouse early and created a club with a lot of followers, hopefully that's me. With my luck, it probably, it probably won't. But if it is, it might actually be a really high leverage opportunity. Um, so there is a lot of potential there, and I'm still new, so I don't know what it is. Well, you sold me on at least keeping an open mind, so we'll chat more about it. Now, I have, a, I have to get to something here. I apologize that I don't have more time. But I'm really grateful that you came on here. So let's make sure people know where to find you so they can actually explore more of your stuff, including your podcast. Yes. So thanks again for having me on. It, it, it always means something that anybody would ever want to talk to me about anything fitness related. When I think about how I got into the industry um, and the people who I admired, still admire, but who've now become colleagues and damn it, I'll even say friends, like such an awesome opportunity. Very appreciative I never want to let that, sorry about the neighbor's dog. I never want to let that go unsaid. But if you'd like to follow my work, if you like what I had to say, you can follow me on Instagram, danny.matranga. All roads kind of branch off from there. You know, uh, you can find my podcast on pretty much every single podcast uh, outlet that most people use. It's Dynamic Dialogue with Danny Matranga. If you couldn't tell, I like alliteration. Um, I've got a mailing list. I've got a trainer mentorship. All of that stuff again through the Instagram. So follow me there first. Yeah, no, I'm serious, guys. Go follow him. Um, I follow you. I, I enjoy you're one of the very, very, very few people that when you post up something, you use the same Twitter style graphic that I do. And I read it and I go, shit, he's better than me at this stuff. And I think I'm pretty good at these things. So I like that a lot. You're very good at them. And if you're good at them, it means you're taking great ideas and sharing them in an accessible way and changing minds, impressions, educating people, all that good stuff. And then for everybody listening, uh, once again, thanks for tuning in. Um, I apologize again for being just a little bit behind on these. I am making every effort to, you know, to schedule them and find great guests for you. And, you know, last week, Jill Coleman, uh, Danny here, and I've got some more cool stuff coming up. And even if there's a little disruption in it, this is something I love and I'm committed to. I just happen to have an overwhelming pile of projects and, and, and clients to train. And I want to take advantage of that, especially because we've had, you know, an up and down year and uncertain year, and it's been very good to me, but I also don't want to miss uh, some of these opportunities when they present themselves, but the podcast is key. So uh, stay tuned and I'll have you something next week. Danny, thank you so much.